Hey, thanks for being a part of the conversation. Let's do some pod crashing. Episode number 279 is with Mike Stibe from the podcast Office Hours with Mike Stibe. Mike, what a great podcast. I mean, because there are so many people out here, so many students that want to be able to just grow forward. And when I say students, I mean even grown adults that have this idea, but we sit on it. We don't move with it. And with Office Hours, you're, you're actually creating an empowerment here. Oh, well, Ira, thank you for having me on the show, and 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 thank you for saying that. You know, I spent. I'm a. I'm actually a big fan of your show because I'm in Charlotte every couple of months. What? I'm on the. I'm on the. I'm on the board of Ally Financial down there, so I am a. WR, WRFX. I hear it every morning before we head into the board meeting. So this is a. This is something I've been looking forward to. Wow, I mean, it, it's such a place where people can come to uh, explore, and 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 especially when it comes to the banking industry. I mean, you're you being down there at Ally. I mean, you're right there in the art district. Uh, we are so, and that's the intersection of a couple of things that I uh, I personally really enjoy. You know, I run the I run this company, Artsy. Artsy is the <laughs> world's largest marketplace for buying and selling fine art. I've been in technology my whole career. I worked at Google previously. I ran a public company called Exo Group, and then I, all the time I spend with Ally Financial, we are the world's largest uh, all digital bank, and a, an amazing service to our users it gives great rates and great service without the without the burden of physical branch banks where they were a true digital disruptor and a, and a and a big part of the fabric of of charlotte do you think that the one thing that's missing from a lot of businesses today is that that big connection of of who is this for and the reason why i bring that up is because i'm constantly asking people okay you've got this business but do you see who you're trying to reach or are you just trying to do a business and they don't understand that there's somebody on the opposite end of their conversation you know aaron that is a uh, that's a really insightful question because so many products are launched by whether big companies or even entrepreneurs that start with the conversation, I want to, or we want to be in this business. We want to have an app that does blank and no one cares what you want. They care what they need. Yeah. And really great companies and really great entrepreneurs build for the need of a user. And just uh, referencing Ally again because they're because they're local and because it's such an important company to me. Ally a year and a half ago canceled overdraft fees. Mm-hmm. They're the first big bank to do this, and they did it because the company empathizes with its customers and knows how that on the day when you overdraft mm-hmm. your checking account, that was a bad. That's a bad day for you. And to be the bank who layers on top by saying, "Hey, you had a bad day. You owe us another twenty bucks." is a really terrible way to be an ally to your consumer. Mm-hmm. And we were the only bank who thinks, what does my consumer really need? Like, How can I really be there for the person who saves or borrows or invests with us? Uh, and and like, I'm really proud of the company, and I'm really proud that, that we've made a number of steps like this to solve real-life problems for real life people. Yeah. I got to be honest with you, the, the, because I've been in radio for so long, 44 years, I, I there, there was a time where I lost who I thought the listener was. So I went to a grocery store. I got a job there because I needed to reacquaint myself with the eyes, the stories, the emotions of real people and real laughter. You know, I have on the podcast, the episode's going to be released in a few weeks, Tim Armstrong, who was the president of Google, who built a $10 billion business from scratch in advertising sales for Google and now runs Flowcode. He had had all the success in bigger companies, had all the success as a public company CEO, but he decided that he couldn't be a great leader until he really built something from scratch. Mm-hmm. And he started his new company, Flowcode, by himself. He got off the train in New York City. 
He walked around the city looking for an office. He walked into Staples looking for for uh, for pens and notebooks and stuff to get the company wow. started. And through the course of doing that, he, he and I talked about it. It's like in Rocky Four, where Rocky goes back to the old yeah, gym yeah. so that he can like become the fighter he used to be. He says he's a better leader than he's ever been before. Yeah, because people bring energy. People bring their dreams. They talk about they talk about things that are about the everyday world. And so instead of sitting there saying, "Well, you're talking to Sally. She's got 2.3 kids. She drives a van. Oh, that's who I'm talking to today." Well, no, she's not really driving that van. You know, we. I mean. Have you followed the, I, I'm in the art world. My company, Artsy Sales, real live art to real people. But I spent a year, every time I did a radio or TV show, being asked about NFTs. Do you yes, remember NFTs? Yes, yep. This was a great example of what problem was this solving for whom? Nobody really wanted to own a little digital thing on there that sits on their phone or in their computer for $10,000, but a lot of people wanted to make money doing it. So there was all this heat and excitement around it. And because it was going up, it was like a digital casino. And we're and people said, when are you going to get an NFTs? And we're like, oh man, I don't think this is yeah. going to end well. Nobody, need, <laughs> nobody needs this. What do you really need? You need a painting by a real living artist that can hang in your home and give your family joy and, and warmth and, and and show off to other people when they come to visit you how great it is to collect art and like that's that's real i don't know a little like a little kitten a little jpeg of a kitten on my phone for two thousand dollars that's more trouble than i need man it's kind of weird that i'm talking with an art expert in the way that uh 10 years ago i i actually shut off my art because i had a bad show in new orleans and i mentioned to the person at the at the at the store the 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 gallery i said please don't take my artwork from charleston and put it inside new orleans they will not understand the structure of what i was painting i blew it i blew it and i thought that's it i'm done and how do you deal with people like that sir well, you know, Aaron, when in art specifically, but if even if you zoom back and just think about uh, what we're able to do in business now with technology, and this is a conversation you'll hear a lot on the podcast. We have some of the top CEOs, some of the top leaders in the in the technology and software sectors. You can come to my app today, Artsy, and in a few clicks, we'll start to understand what you personally love. And we've built this app to be your personal art advisor. Yeah. So it very well may be true. Your art in this example may not have sold in New Orleans, but there may be someone in New Orleans. And if not in New Orleans, then New York City. And if not New York City, then Paris or Dubai, who has an aesthetic and who has it and who understands the story that motivates you as an artist. And that does a little bit of the research and really falls in love with it. And the internet makes that possible. It makes it possible for things to be local at a global scale, for things to be personal, even though it's millions of artists and millions of collectors all interacting at the same time. And that's a, it's, you know, we, we mostly complain about technology these days. We complain about Zoom and we complain about our phones and all the alerts and all being always on, but there's some wonderful things happening with technology and technology's ability when done right to connect someone to something that they personally will truly love. It unlocks matches. It unlocks, uh, it consummates transactions. It brings people together. It, in some apps, you find someone you fall in love with and get married. These things happen because tech, when technology is done right, it's done with the user, the need, the real needs of a real person in mind. You can do some pretty special things. Well, and it also starts with powerful mantras that start inside your heart as well. Because, I mean, you say that your career is your most powerful asset. That That's a game changer right there when you share that. 
you know, we had an episode one of Office Hours, we had Tommy Hilfiger come on. And Tommy Hilfiger, who we all just now know as this famous genius, was a guy, a young guy, selling bell bottoms hand to hand at Elmira College. And then he was a guy who tried to open a few stores and he bankrupted them. Mm-hmm. And he was nobody. But he had a he had a song in his heart. He had an idea for a brand. He knew what he wanted to, he knew the problem he wanted to solve for the consumer, giving people access to a well-priced, inclusive, reasonably sized preppy brand that felt like it was only for the rich and famous. He gave that to everyone. And and he was the first fashion IPO on the New York Stock Exchange Mm. as a result. Mm. These conversations that I'm able to have with executives who've been through that journey from nowhere to somewhere, and they can share the insights along the way are it's like it's a superfood for growing your career. It, and it's really been gratifying to hear how much people have enjoyed it so far. Mike, you got to be honest with me here on one thing, though. When when you get to talk and share conversations as deep as you go, how often do you leave the studio and have to go meditate or go sit in a park just because you've got to digest what you just received? Because now I'm the receiver and I've got to be able to feel what you just received. You know, I talked to the Eric Adams, mayor of New York City podcast drop this morning, and he said the most amazing thing. He's famous for being like the nightlife mayor. I've seen him out. I've seen him out like at 1130 at night, and it looks like he's just getting his night started. And I asked him about it because he's also a big health guy. He always talks Mm -hmm. about eating healthy foods and exercising and meditating. And I said, Mayor Adams, you're out late. I don't know. Like, I don't know if you're getting enough sleep. And he said, Mike, (laughs) he said, Mike, you cannot be a shepherd unless you smell like a sheep. I am out with my flock. And he started telling me about how when he, you you know, he gets photographed in the restaurant, but then he goes in the kitchen and then he goes on the subway and he's pressing the flesh with real New Yorkers all night long. And as a result, he's a mayor, first a candidate, but now a mayor who's in touch with his people. And I walked away from that interview. He said, Mike, how many people do you know who run quick serve restaurants and eat in their restaurants? How many people do you know who make pants and wear the pants? How many people are out there talking to their real customers? And I walked away from that interview and I was like, man, he is real. It was such an incredible insight. And from where you don't expect it, most business people don't expect to get great advice from a former New York City police officer who's now a local politician. It, It was one of the most insightful 30 minutes I've spent this year. I would love to have a recording device in the cars and offices of people that listen to Office Hours, your podcast, because the sounds that we make, or I know the sounds I make are usually, whoa, oh, wow, oh, oh, write that down, write that down. I mean, it's, 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 like, it's a new way of communicating, whereas in the old days of radio, we would argue with it. Now it's like, oh, wow. It's an experience is what it is. Well, you're kind to say, and, you know, and I took some inspiration from the old days of radio. My favorite thing about radio is calling in to the sports talk programs, right? Like, when we go, all right, we're, go- we're going to Mike and Canarsie. Or Mike and Canarsie, what do you have to say? Okay, I think the Yankees should trade this guy for that guy. It's the, be- it's the best part of media. When the media, it's supposed to be for us and we get to interact with it. And I took inspiration from that in the format for Office Hours. So I do not ask Tommy Hilfiger and Everett Taylor and Anjali Sood and Jeff Brown from Ally Financial, local hero who's going to be on the show on October 10th. I don't ask these folks, the questions, the audience calls my phone number. They leave the voicemail with their Mm -hmm, questions. mm -hmm. We pick the 10 best questions and we answer it together. 
this podcast is not to satisfy my curiosity. It's to satisfy our audience's curiosity. See, that's and that it's connection. such better content. That's that connection, dude. Because I mean, it's it's even like I mean, you it, you you were part of the knot. If and that's the wedding business. If you don't have a connection with a bride, a groom, a mother, a father, a son, I mean, you, you your business could not have been a success story. Yeah, the knot was all about helping people plan weddings. Yes. It's the most stressful, emotional moment. Like in your young life, when you're supposed to just be happy, right? You get engaged, it's supposed to be nothing but happiness. It's butterflies and rainbows. And then somebody asks you to be an event planner and spend like $35,000 on <laughs> cakes and photographs and white folding chairs. And I was, you know, what I really enjoyed about that job is that we were able to take a team to build a software product that would do all that work for you. Mm -hmm. We take away all the unpleasantness, we take away all the stress and just leave you with the happy human moments. And I think there's an element of the podcast where this podcast knows, I know the stress, the anxiety that my my audience feels in their day-to-day -day careers because I've felt it for so much of my career. And to address topics from how do I deal with burnout to how do I ask for a promotion to how do I get my new business idea off the ground to how do I create more productivity so I have time to try to do the next thing. All of these questions are like questions that I've had in my career. I know my guests have had in theirs so we're able to answer now with the benefit of experience in a way that can help you, the listener, take the next step in whatever is important to you. The way you speak, are you a journal writer? Because you you go real deep and only journal writers can make that, cha that, that, that chance taking step. When I'm, Aaron, when I'm stuck... Yeah. I write in a journal. I'm not. Some people do it every day, yeah. and I, I and I understand that it's a great practice. I think my brother is a daily journal uh, journaler, and he's also he's a great writer, and so on. I, when when I, I'll get to a moment where I'm like, oh, I feel like I'm in a rut. Uh, something's not working. I give myself an hour. I sit down with the notebook, and it's amazing the way that just writing your thoughts, writing your question, and then starting to answer your question, mm -hmm. uh, the tactile nature of having your hand involved and. Doing it outside of the day-to-day -day rush is very effective, and I, I presume it's something that 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 you recommend as well. Oh, 29 years of daily writing, dude, and now I, I, it's, it's all grown into stream thinking, which is basically you write about what's in your right now. Doesn't matter if it's good, positive, ugly. Just get it out, and then and then study it. Ask the questions, question the answers. Well, so Aaron, you're as an artist, as a public figure, and as a as someone who's journaled for so long, I have to tell you, I saw an amazing amateur art presentation one time. The artist took all of his journals from when he was 11 years old and put them all out for people to read. Nice. Nice. Can you imagine oh. a more vulnerable moment than that as an artist, as a professional? And he's just like, here it is. This is me. I thought it was super cool. Dude, I would be the guy that would go up there and I would want to put my fingers on the handwritten stuff because I want to feel the depth of his thought. Yeah. Well, it was it was an immersive artistic experience. You could have done it. Wow. I mean, that's like that's like out there in Seattle at their little Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. They've got Jimi Hendrix uh, journals where he was writing songs and all. And you can sit there and with this little instrument, you can turn the pages. But it's just it's just the way that people write it, it itself is art because the way that we are signatures and stuff like that. That's art. It's very personal. It's it's, it's a fingerprint, too. It is. Yeah. It's 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 only you. So let's let's talk producer to producer here in the way that you bring you bring listeners to the questions on 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 the podcast office hours. Do do those your your guests do they get to listen to it first or is it from their heart that they get to they they really get to give the answer? So uh, the guests aren't. I'll tell the guests like, hey, generally speaking, I want to talk with you about X or Y. Okay. For example, a, 
my friend Anjali Sood, who's the CEO of uh, Tubi, who was the CEO of Vimeo before, she had a baby, an initial public offering on the NASDAQ, and then a baby. I was like, Anjali, I don't know if you get to talk about this much, but our audience has to hear a little bit from you. Mm-hmm. And a bunch of the questions coming in were about how in the world do you run a public company and have a family all at the same time? So that's a case where I think if I hadn't prepped her, she would have been just as great, but I, I give her that I give her the heads up that that's coming. Um, I sat down with Everett Taylor. Everett Taylor is the CEO of Kickstarter. He's one of Fortune Magazine's top 50 marketers in the world. He was just one of the time 100. Everett was, he's told this story publicly. Everett was homeless as a kid. Mm. Everett is not a college grad. Everett is not an MBA. Everett is not the guy who you sort of pick out of the lineup at some big company and say, I suppose this will be the next CEO. But he, but I was like, Everett, I just want you to share with people the real stories from how you got to point A to point B. And all of the, he's also has a big social media presence. So all of the, all of the questions that came in ahead of time were about like Everett. How did you develop a presence? How did you start your first business? So, so yeah, uh, producer to producer, there's sometimes a little bit of prep. There's like a theme. I let people know why I want them on the podcast. But when the questions hit, uh, the questions are from the listener, from the heart, and the guest and I answer them real time. And the answer that we put out is the answer that you hear on the podcast. Are you the student that runs around showing off your notes or are you the instructor that brings in a special guest? On the podcast, uh, the guest and I are both uh, pr- providing the content, if you yeah, would. Yeah, so we yeah. both answer the questions, but I spend just as much time asking, digging in further. Because look, <laughs> the truth is, here's the problem. CEOs are also media trained. Like mm-hmm. we have PR firms and the PR firms teach us how not to answer questions, how to only say the things that we want to say. So I'm actually, I am also trained in the ways of the force. And when somebody <laughs> comes on my podcast and tries to get away with that, they say, oh, just work hard and believe in yourself. I'm like, hold on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're all working hard and we all believe in ourselves. But when you were 27 years old, you made this move in your career. And I want to know why you made that move. And after you made the move, what were the two things that worked and what's the one big mistake? And then when you can get past the PR and get down to what really happened. And I've been pleasantly surprised how how honest and vulnerable people have been on the podcast. And I don't know, maybe it's because in, in most cases, I already know them personally. The format is kind of loose and fun, but this is, this is not CNBC uh, media trained talking points. Yeah. This is real questions from real people and real vulnerable answers from somebody who's been through it before. Seeking joy and purpose at the workplace. Does it start with self-awareness or does it start with, I need a leader that is going to get off my back and just share with me stories, stories, because I love looking at the 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 uh, the receipts of, okay, this is our goal today. This is how much money we have to make today. Are we going to make it? Well, if we work as a team, we can make it. But if we're going to work as individuals, not going to happen. Um. Joy and purpose at work, I believe, comes from two things. The first one is having work that is aligned with your personal mission. Yes. Your your per, the, the purpose, the thing that you want to have impact on in the world. I actually, I wrote a book about this like seven or eight years ago. It's called The Career Manifesto. And it's a step-by-step guide where you just start by laying out these are the kinds of things that I would like to change in the world or not. These are the things that I enjoy doing and don't enjoy doing. 
these are the kinds of jobs and careers that line up to the impact and the happiness that I'd like to pull out of my or put into my career. And consistently, I find that people who are in jobs that don't align with that are not happy. I had an amazing sales guy earlier in my career, like one of the best, who was miserable. I could tell he was miserable. I had him come to my office hours. This is where the name of the podcast comes from. He came to Mike's office hours. Back then, it was just a meeting. It wasn't a podcast. He, uh, I got into it. I said, look, what do you really, what's your goal? What do you really, we talked and talked. Turns out he wants to make movies. Wow. I said, buddy, you work at a you work at a gigantic bureaucratic tech company. You're not going to make a movie here. What are you doing? <laughs> and two years later, two years later, I was in Los Angeles on the set watching him make his first independent film. Wow. And and look, I didn't. I'm, to be clear, it's not because I asked him about it. Like he went, he had to go on this journey himself. But to see how happy someone is, how fulfilled someone is when they're doing the thing they're supposed to do, like from internally, Mm -hmm. not the thing they're supposed to do externally. He was working at a very prestigious company and he was making a good salary. And that's what you're supposed to do externally. Mm -hmm. But internally, he was put on this earth to make movies. And he made movies called The Mad Ones. He made an amazing independent film. And like when he looks back on his career, that's going to be the highlight. It's not going to be the quarter that... He finished at 110% to goal for some big tech company. Wow. You got to come back to this show anytime in the future, Mike. The door is always going to be open for you. Oh, thanks, man. I really appreciate it. It's fun to catch up with you. Well, you be brilliant today, okay, sir? All right. I will try. Thank you.